Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what is this thing that you have constructed on your side of the desk? Um, hmm, it's a, I guess it's kind of a note holder. Yeah? And made. it's it's uh, made out of some sort of box that I found. And it's got paper clips that apparently aren't doing anything, but it is serving a purpose. Yeah, and a clothespin, apparently. Oh, that's right. Well, I don't know where you got a clothespin in the office, but... Well... Some of us like to save energy and do our laundry here and fly down on the fifteenth floor balcony. We get a lot of wind out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I um I engaged in a bit of uh, this is of course tool use uh, that you're engaging in here. Yes, and uh, and I I actually engaged in a little bit of this uh, during our recent uh, um, great freeze that hit uh, Atlanta. Oh, Uh, snowmageddon! Snowmageddon, uh, as some people called it, and. the situation was that we kept making hot tea because that was all we could basically, you know, it was just like, let's just, what are we going to do now? Let's make hot tea. Right. What are we going to do now? Let's play Scrabble and let's make hot tea. And that was like, you know, four days uh, of being trapped inside uh, doing that. And uh, our tea ball was um, like the chain was broken on it. So I ended up like constructing something where I took like the tea ball and then I used some like some like butcher twine. Is it called butcher twine? Yes. Yes. And uh, and like I used that to attach it to to, to like a metal skewer and uh, and created a system of being able to, of moving the tea ball in and out of the uh, the boiling kettle. So um, wow. So I have to ask you: Did you make so much tea that you guys broke it, and then you needed to resort to such yes. tool using behavior? Yes. So you found out a little something about yourself during Snowmageddon. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think think I did. And and it's it's interesting as we get into this and we start talking about tool use in, in the animal kingdom. You do see that captivity. And, uh, and, uh, will, will often bring out, um, the more innovative side of many animals. An animal that uh, is not necessarily a tool user may become one in captivity, uh, or, and one that, uh, is capable of only, say, like a very low level tool use, uh, is, is sometimes capable of higher level tool use, uh, if they're locked in a zoo. Okay. So boredom is the mother of invention is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also the mother of, of injury, but. <laughs> But 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 luckily uh, n- nothing went wrong with the uh, the the tea uh, ball invention that I came up with. So let's um, let's talk about tool use then. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we we normally think about tool use uh, in primates, right? Right. Jane Goodall uh, witnessing a, a single blade of grass being stuck down into a termite mound and mm-hmm. and then a lovely snack emerging. Yeah. Or just like you know, 2001: A Space Odyssey, monkeys picking up bones, yeah. beating other monkeys on the head. Because weapons are ultimately um, ultimately tools, right? Right. But I think that we 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 don't necessarily look to other animals and think, oh well, I bet that they're an extraordinary tool user, right? But in fact, they are. And my favorite example is the octopus, actually. Oh yeah, yeah. This one is is really cool. Now this is uh, an octopus, as we all know, does not have a a shell. Uh, there are various uh, cephalobots that, that do, but the, the octopus depends on other methods uh, of survival, camouflage, right. uh, shape changing, basically, and uh, and and being able to sort of creep around and not draw a lot of attention to itself. Yeah, but what do you do if you've got to cross the seafloor and there's nothing to camouflage yourself against? And I don't know, you've got another mile to go. Well, you could, I guess you could, if, if you could evolve, you could uh, slowly develop. Uh, some sort of a protective coating through, uh, you know, through, you know, one dead octopus after another dead octopus until, uh, wow. you know, uh, 
um, you end up, uh, you know, s- selecting that octopus that has a harder shell, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess you could. Or in the short term, yeah. if you lived in Indonesia and you were an octopus and you saw a coconut on the, the bottom of the seafloor, you could take the two halves of it and you could crawl into it when you needed to mm-hmm. and reassemble it. And oh, no wow. one would be the wiser, right? They'd be like, oh, gosh, that that's not prey. That's just a stupid coconut. <laughs> and I love that. I love yeah. that the octopus is like, you know what? This this is something that I can obscure myself in. Nobody's going to know. And now I can resume my journey. Wow. That's really incredible. It's um, And, and, and it just goes to show that, I mean, all tool use really kind of clues us into something, uh, to some serious cognition going on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and octopi are pretty smart. It's one of the reasons I... I uh, me personally, I can't really eat them uh, in sushi anymore. I just, you know, I hear they're as smart as cats, you know, from various things. And then I, I look at my cat and I'm like, I wouldn't eat my cat on a California roll. Or yeah. If I did eat seafood, I have to say just just the look of them. I don't know. It just seems it seems like a frightening proposition to have that in my mouth. But what I what I think was so cool, too, about this coconut example is it re- totally reminded me of the. Uh, this invention, it's in Japan. And have you ever seen this? It's this fold-up Coke machine. No. Okay, well, it's... But I, I do really want to do uh, a um, an episode about uh, amazing vending machines sometime, so... Do you? Yeah. All right, okay. Yeah. There's Actually, there's plenty of them. Listeners, I think you... Wink, wink. I think you might know what we're talking about here. But this... I love the idea of this, but it's super silly. I mean, it's flat-packed. It looks like a Coke machine when you unpack it. You zip mm-hmm. yourself in it. And then, lo and behold... You look like a plastic vending machine. So what happens when people put money into you or reach into you for snacks? Well, you have several choices in your response. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, the, the octopus is, is actually much more clever than us humans in trying to camouflage themselves hmm. on, on the street, so to speak. <laughs> well, that's awesome. It's um, We were researching about this, and a lot of uh, tool use um when it comes to you know the brain comes down to something uh that we call uh body schema schema yeah yeah and uh and this is a uh, this, this idea has been around for about 100 years and it's and it's the idea that our brains are just constantly processing visual tactile feedback about what our bodies are doing and how they're positioned and you re- create these different sort of versions of ourselves, you know? So, like, I like to think of it in terms of, like, martial arts movies where, like, somebody goes into, say, like, drunken monkey stance or or uh, tiger stance. But we, but we have, but as tool users, we have a, a well, as, as humans, we would have other stances like, oh, my goodness, don't hit me in the face with that ball stance. Right. Or, um, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to chase the cat stance. That, those, you know, different body positions that are aimed towards particular tasks. Okay. But when you throw in tools and you get all these different, different, uh, additional positions. You get like um, grumpy snow shoveler stance or intense polenta stirrer stance, toothbrusher stance. Don't forget risotto stance. Risotto stance. Yeah. Is that the other one that involves a lot of stirring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. lots. Yeah. I just know I'm, I'll, I'll be asked to stir something and it, and then I just I lose all memory of what I'm stirring. It's so, it takes so long. Wow. It's delicious when it's done, but it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's qu- qu- quite an effort. Right. Uh, but, but anyway, um, so our, our brains are constantly... You know, working working this out, and it's uh, it's uh, it's definitely an, an instance of these tools becoming an extension of our bodies. Right, they're a part of our body schema. They're, they they become part of who we are. You know, we're used to hearing about this ones like you hear people talking about like swordsmanship or golf. 
you know, and you hear it's like, oh, well, you need to make the club an extension of your arm. You right. Need to make be this, one with it. Yeah. Be one with the sword or something, you know, and, and that's exactly what's going on. Like the more you're, you're able to uh, the better you are at using a tool, the more the brain identifies it as a part of yourself. Right, right. And actually, they were. Uh, I saw a study from the National Institute of Health on tool use tasks for toddlers, and they were talking about how toddlers um, that were using tools to act on themselves, like feed themselves, for mm-hmm. instance, were picking up on that and using that a lot more than externally. In other words, like you know, feeding Elmo hmm. some quinoa or something. Um, and so, you do you see that? that idea of it being an extension of yourself right there in that example and that we automatically say, oh, okay, I'm a little toddler brain and I'm trying to figure this out for myself and here's my spoon. Uh, But, you know, Elmo's not going to get his food until much later. But that brings me to this point, you know, we should probably talk exactly about what tool use is. I mean, you know, it seems pretty obvious, but... It's really defined as providing no benefit until they're used for a very specific purpose. So with animals, what's really cool about that is that it shows that the animal is capable of pre-planning, right. advanced planning. Yeah, it's it's not just an animal, say, picking up a stick and beating random things with it. It's it, there, There's no purpose to that. So yeah. it's, that's not tool use. Now, something like that might develop into tool use um, in, in time. But, but yeah, there's got to be a purpose in mind. That's right. We're seeing a lot of cogitation going on. Mm-hmm. Cogitation party. <laughs> um, and there are actually, um, uh, I've, I've read that there are, there are basically two types of tools. There is a, what is, well, first there's something called an artifact, right? Mm-hmm. An artifact is something that is crafted. Uh, for example, uh, if a chimp, you know, like I say, we're all using like, we're used to seeing images of like a chimp sticking a, you know, a, poking a stick down a, a termite hole right. and coming up with termites to lick off. Well, They've been, uh, chimps have been known to chew the termite fishing stick so that it fits better into the holes. So they're creating an artifact. Now, if they had not used, uh, their mouths to, to alter it, they would have what is, uh, sometimes called a nature fact, which is kind of like just a found object tool. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, here's a stick. I'll pick it up. I'll get some bugs on it and, and eat the bugs off the stick, but right. I haven't changed the stick. And then when it comes to these different artifacts, they're basically four levels. Uh, there is, uh, reduction where you reduce the mass of a functional object. Like okay. you take the stick, chew something off of it, now you can use it. Then there's conjunction, where you combine two or more units to make a tool. Uh, an example of this where it would be you take, uh, like looking at early humans, like you take a, a stone, sharpen it into something, mm-hmm. and then you attach it to a stick to make a spear. Okay. Whammo, you have a uh, conjunction tool. And then there, the third level, repli- uh, replication. This would uh, be where uh, it's conjunction, but with two or more similar units. So if you made a two-headed spear, you know, you're, 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 you have two different, three different things going on there. And then there's linkage. And this is the mo- more complicated form. And this is where you have, uh, uh, f- physically distinct forms used in combination. And that would be like if you made a bow and you made an arrow. Bow mm-hmm. and arrow are both rather different, but together you have a, uh, a, a single, um, tool that's very useful to early hunters. Okay. Actually, that was making me think about elephants. Um, I know that in South Africa, it was observed that an elephant, after digging a hole and uh, drinking water, mm-hmm. and presumably spitting that water back in, stripped bark from a, ne- a nearby tree and then chewed it into a large ball, uh-huh. so transforming it, and then plugged the hole and covered it with sand. 
So essentially, the the elephant was making a um a canteen. Oh wow! Yeah, and and then taking that that ball out again and slurping it up again. Huh. So that's that's something that definitely uh, the elephant transformed its environment in order to create this kind of groovy canteen. Oh wow! And yeah, and that's an elephant using like a a, a level two artifact to yeah uh, right yeah. right. Um, I, I mentioned earlier about you know how uh, captivity can change the level of tool use involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that um. With the um, capuchin monkeys, um, if you've watched if you watched Life, the uh, awesome Discovery yeah. slash BBC show, there's you know great scenes in that and and various other documentaries uh, that show these these guys taking uh, rocks and using them to bust open uh, nuts yeah. so they can eat the, the the insides. And they're very selective about their rocks, right? Yeah, because like no no rock will do. Right, and it takes them a while to learn how to do it. Like there there are also lots of cool. You know, generally, you see lots of footage of the younger ones trying to do it and just failing miserably. Like, yeah. Uh, picking the wrong stones, uh, you know, et cetera. But, um, uh, but the, the, the cool thing is that, um, they, they can actually, uh, they've actually been seen to craft tools in captivity instead of just, cause the rock that they're beating the, the nut with is just, that's a nature fact. But uh, in captivity, sometimes they make artifacts. Uh, they've been seen to uh, sticking two pieces of straw together to make a longer probe, uh, to reach things that are outside of the cage. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's really cool. Again, you know, Cap, you know, captivity, uh, boredom, uh, invention. <laughs> Creative, uh, mayhem, as yeah. in the case with, actually, again, with the octopi. I know there have been a couple of different instances in captivity that they've done some stuff. And one was at the San Ma- Santa Monica Pier Aquarium. There was a female California two-spotted octopus who swam to the top of her tank, mm-hmm. disassembled the valve with her arm, and then released 200 gallons of seawater into nearby exhibits and offices. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean... How, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, and then I, I understand the same octopus stole somebody's wallet, um, made a Xerox of their their driver's license, yes, and was able to skip the the entire state. Like I, I think they're still living in Nevada. Yes, yeah. I heard that too. But actually, you say that, and it did make me think, like, what what's going on in the the octopus mind there? I mean, do you think that they're swimming around, going, you know what, I need to show all these other sea creatures who's the boss here? Yeah. And, and and what sort of force I have and the power that I have in this aquarium, I'm gonna flood this place. Oh man, it's like a like rock stars trashing a hotel room. Yeah, totally. And that's what I was like. Dang. These octopi are pretty great. <laughs> there was another one um, who actually disassembled a robot. There was a the, yeah. There's this little robot puttering around the aquarium. I don't know why they put it in there, <laughs> but piece by piece, it was oh, disassembled. That is awesome. Yeah, I've seen some cool videos of polar bears. Um, Going, they have these like ice flow robots. Yeah, I posted on the Facebook a while back, but uh, they have like these little robots that are disguised as like chunks of ice, and they either float or they sort of crawl around on the ice. But polar bears, are, you know, there's not, a, I guess, there's not a lot to do. They're curious animals. Right. They'll see this and they end up just tearing it to pieces. <laughs> of so, course, they're like, "What is this? Yeah, <laughs> I need to How get to the bottom of it." How dare it come into my uh, realm and uh, and think it's going to get away? That's right. Yeah. I'll show you. Um, but. The, again, octopi, really smart creatures, obviously. And another really cool thing about them is that they use their suction cups like pincers, like we do. Mm-hmm. And they have so many neurons actually firing in their arms and, and sort of neuron, neuron power, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. that they can take every single one of those suckers and make them pincers, Whoa. which just really like blows our ability out of the water there. No pun intended. But a lot of this is because... These guys have like their ganglia is is uh, is all grouped together, uh-huh. whereas 
with the molluscan nervous system in other creatures like clams, for instance, it, they're all over the place. They're widely dispersed. Yeah, but in, you don't see clams using a lot of tools. No, no, they don't. Sorry. They might have a lovely pearl, but that's about it. That's about it. Um, but that's the cool thing about the, the octopi is that they do have this group of ganglia, mm-hmm. so to speak, and that gives them the edge over other cephalods, I suppose. Hmm. Now, another uh, interesting uh, critter in the ocean that's uh, been known to use tools is, of course, the dolphin, yeah. which comes as less a surprise because everybody's on the, you know, especially thanks to what John C. Lilly. I was about to say, like, <laughs> do you mind, that, like, I have yeah. to I have to say, like, this, again, to... to um, to remind people who may or may not have heard the podcast that we did on uh, the strange life lives of scientists, uh, John C. Lilly worked extensively with dolphins. And what we know is that dolphins can actually court other humans given the right circumstances. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, he's, he's one of the, you really have to trace the whole dolphin mania and our, and a lot of our cultural respect for dolphins. Uh, back to this guy, though, he, uh, definitely had some, made some very questionable choices in his research. Right. Um, but, but yeah, so t- today to, you know, the post flipper, uh, era, it comes as no surprise that, yeah, dolphins can use tools. Yeah, of course. They can court us. They can flash us. Like, <laughs> you know, the, the flashers of the oceans. Um, but the tool that they use is really cool. Yeah, sponges, right? Yeah. Uh, which they uh, use to stir the ocean bottom sand uh, to uh, uncover and disorient pl- uh, prey. Yeah, and the really cool thing about this is that um, researchers have found that it's a hunting technique that originated in a single female and is passed from mother to daughter. Huh. Yeah, and it, what they did is they analyzed the mitochondrial DNA, which is the DNA passed down by females, and they found that the 13 spongers and 172 non-spongers, they found the trait appeared to be passed on mostly within a single family line and from mother to daughter, and that sponging most likely originated in a recent ancestor. Huh. So this is sort of a new thing for them. Um, and they say, well, okay, why? what about the males? How come this isn't happening with them? And apparently like, they, they hypothesize that male bottlenose dolphins tend to form close bonds with other males. And so those alliances aren't really suited to seabed foraging since it's time consuming and it's a solitary activity. Huh. I don't know. This seems kind of weak sauce to me in terms of a, a theory. But well, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the, uh, the the cheetahs that bring down uh, ostriches in uh, that's covered in uh, one of the episodes of life uh, mm-hmm. where. Uh, it, since it's only, only the males doing it, uh, it's not getting passed on because the male cheetahs are not involved in, uh, in rearing and, 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 and raising of young. Right. Okay. You know? So, uh, so yeah, it's interesting to think it's like, it's one thing to develop, uh, to be able to, to, to develop tool use, but you've got to be able to pass it on. It's got to, you know, cause I guess conceivably you could have, have a, an animal out there that, that learns to use a tool, but is it, is it using it? A, is it using it a lot? And B, is it uh, taking that and passing it on to the next generation to where it becomes like standard practice? Right. Monkey yeah. see, monkey do. Another example of uh, being in captivity is uh, I remember working at the zoo mm-hmm. um, and finding out that the orangutans there were uh, trying to get out of the enclosure, of course, as they all try to, <laughs> all the primates do. Uh-huh. And the first generation would just get electrocuted from the wire, right? And they did that, I don't know, maybe like five times. And they said, okay, I'm going to stop. The second generation, uh, they, they actually taught them, like, the wire's hot, be careful. And start, and so they started to try to build things to oh, wow. get over the fence. Uh-huh. And they were unsuccessful. And then the third generation, again, looked at all of this going on and realized that they could actually, like, short the wire 
by jumping on the, I guess, like a tree. I can't remember uh-huh. exactly what it was. And so they could then escape the, the uh, enclosure that way. So wow. there you go. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a really interesting uh, recent uh, Radiolab episode uh, that uh, dealt with a uh, again with orangutans trying to escape uh, their uh, their enclosure, and this one involved uh, an orangutan that was apparently using uh, a little piece of metal to pick a lock. So it's 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 incredible what some yeah. of the uh, the higher primates can get up to. Uh, other examples uh, from the animal kingdom, you have uh, gorillas that, uh, that sometimes use walking sticks, uh, and they'll use them to test the depth of uh, of water. Uh, to keep their balance as they cross. Yeah, which is really cool looking. If yeah. you haven't seen that before, if you go to YouTube, you can probably find it. Especially when they take it and they shake it at the younger uh, gorillas yeah. and tell them to to get off their lawn. Um, <laughs> you have uh, chimpanzees using clubs. Uh, there was another uh, interesting uh, recent case uh, where a chimpanzee at a zoo was like stockpiling rocks mm-hmm. to throw because uh, it was old and grumpy apparently to uh, throw at uh, zoo visitors. Again, advanced planning, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to use it as a projectile, yeah, you, there's some thought that needs to go in there. Poor zoo goers. <laughs> um, and, and of course, we mentioned chimps uh, foraging, uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, also uh, macaques using uh, rocks to bust open nuts. Um, some more interesting examples. Uh, this was one I had never heard of before, but uh, uh, naked mole rats crafting masks. And it, first of all, I love naked mole rats. Like they're just an amazing animal. If you get to see some at a zoo, definitely see them because they're like, they're living in like a hive environment. There's, and they're uh, naked. They're naked. They're funny looking. They walk backwards. They, uh, there's just, they're just a complete win as far as, as animals go. But, um, uh, so, but they have these powerful protruding teeth that they use to burrow and their lips are on the inside, uh, like behind their teeth and all. Uh, that's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really crazy looking. And oh, and, they, and since they're naked, they all have to sleep in big piles to uh, keep their body heat going on. Um, Not gonna make a joke there. Yeah, <laughs> but <Key> party. <laughs> but they, um, but to keep their lungs uh, uh, clear, some of the scientists have observed the mole rats um, placing wood shavings behind their teeth in front of those lips oh, to create yeah. a like a basically a simple mask. I mean, it doesn't look, you know, it, when I say mole rats with mask, it may sound like they're creating like big tribal. Uh, you know, mask, but right. that's not really the case. But they're, they're crudely using, uh, you know, little wood shavings to, uh, help protect their face. So. Yeah, I read neat. about that. That is pretty cool. And, and then with, uh, humans, of course, our tool use is just all over the place and, uh, has been like just an important part of our, uh, our evolution. Like, uh, there are studies that have, uh, that, that, uh, relate to dart throwing. Like all the, uh, like our wrists are really complicated. Yeah. Um, in the dart throwing motion, uh, is, uh, that, that's an area that, uh, that, that is getting a fair amount of study because, uh, the evolution of these, uh, amazing wrists we have mm-hmm. apparently has a lot to do with our ability to use tools. So, so the dart throwing is this like, uh, did this come with the advent of pubs? Yes. Ancient, uh, you know, caveman pubs. Right. Where, uh, <laughs> where they they learned to uh, to brew a hard cider and uh, and then they started uh, playing darts. Right, you'd have yeah. to establish your prowess with the darts, and therefore we have this nice complicated uh, wrist to think. No, that's completely not true. <laughs> but hey, speaking of creatures uh, developing uh, things like uh, uh, pubs and uh, hard cider, uh, we have some listener mail. Uh, and it is, uh, what I have here is some stuff related to our recent, uh, uh podcast on animal junkies, uh, or junkies of the animal kingdom, uh, which received a, a fair amount of, uh, feedback. Uh, we're not able to read everything, but, uh, 
the first one, this one I was really excited to get because it comes from uh, Jana uh, in Newfoundland, Canada. Um, and where I spent part of my childhood, I mentioned uh, mentioned this in the, in the the podcast when we were talking about uh, mooses or moose. 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 Yeah. She says, hello, I'm from rural Newfoundland, Canada. First of all, I'm glad to hear you lived here once. Plus, I would like to second what you said about, uh, about the moose, mooses here. Uh, sorry. Uh, We we have uh, hundreds of moose accidents a year here, and some of these often result in death, which is always sad and unnecessary. The moose, uh, come out of, out to the highway to lick the salt on the road. That is, that's put on the road to reduce ice. Many people uh, here have, have started a group to get the government to allow more moose hunting license as they are extremely overpopulated uh, and put up moose fences along the main highway to reduce accidents. Just thought this is another cool but sad junkie story. So, that's interesting. Yeah, because you, you it's twofold. You have the, 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 the moose uh, coming in to eat the salt and then uh, becoming a, a, a pest to, uh, well... Becoming a pest to drivers, though, I guess you could say the drivers are the pest. Right. And also where, you know, uh, they're the ones that are uh, responsible for the overpopulation. But anyway, it's, it was great to hear from somebody in Newfoundland. Your peeps. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also uh, heard from um, um, a listener by the name of Craig, um, who grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, he uh, let us know that he used to live in a neighborhood called Bramblewood, uh, so-called because of a very large blackberry bramble. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they weren't apparently weren't able to pick all of the blackberries. So he said, uh, says, the berries we couldn't pick would ferment in the summer sun and seem to attract animals from all over. As the more rotten the fruit got, the more birds uh, you would see sluggishly hopping around the ground or just collapsed in a heap on a branch. The rodents got in on the act as well, and it was uh, quite a sight to see startled squirrels leaping from branches and missing. All this uh, uh, concentration of slow-moving prey eventually attracted snakes, and by the end of blackberry season, you could always find several snakes lying beneath the brambles with bulges in their bodies. <laughs> it's hard to tell if a snake is drunk, but if you were going to, uh, going to ever get one to consume alcohol, I suppose this would have to have been the way. So that was. Uh, I love that because we obviously Atlanta's in the south, and we know those those uh, warm, crazy, hot summers. And I can just imagine all of these creatures <laughs> <laughs> laying around, you know, drunk on their on their uh, blackberry brambles. Yeah, it's and kinda, getting it's, eaten by snakes. Yeah, it's, it, got, it's happened to friends of mine. Does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it has like a very like Faulkner esque ring to it <laughs> in the animal kingdom. And uh, and then on the, this is actually on our Facebook page. Uh, we had a listener by the name of Cynthia who uh, was inspired by our mention of how um, uh, catnip or the nip, um, yeah, is uh, sometimes uh, or, or at least used to be used as a tea for right. humans. So she, so she says, uh, "quote Thanks to the Animal a Junkies podcast, I brewed some catnip tea and gave it to my kitties yesterday with some pretty ex- excellent results. I will definitely be doing that again. Thanks for the idea." Love the podcast, and so I had to get more details on that. Yeah. So I, I I asked a few questions, and she she provided these details. She says, "Well, I diluted the tea two to one because I didn't want to overdo it. So they didn't finish all of the diluted stuff. I saved the rest for next time. But I left the teacup uh, with the dregs in it on the ground as well, and that was gone in a couple of seconds. Then there were just two cats rubbing their faces on the water bowl and around it. Oh, you gotta love it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say that listeners don't try this at home." Kids don't try this home because I, I I know that Cynthia is an expert tea brewer. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't, yeah. This was and this was an experiment carried off by our own free will. We did not prompt her to. We, we didn't at all. Yeah, yeah. We just don't want to be responsible for any uh, 
you know, weird tea-related um, epidemics out there. Marauding cats, yeah. gangs of marauding cats. Yeah. Yeah. So there you have it. If you have anything uh, to add um, about uh, animal junkies, about animal tool users, or, or even like uh, your own children learning to use tools, I, I find that fascinating as well. Um, then, uh, then you know, let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter as Blow the Mind, and we uh, frequently update that with all sorts of cool links to uh, uh, how stuff works uh, content as well as content from elsewhere around the web. And you can always drop us a line at Blow the Mind at HowStuffWorks dot com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks dot com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.